drive their beat-up junker with no AC, and uh, what a sacrifice. And it's not necessarily false, but uh, it's in these situations and instances that show me that not all sacrifice is motivated by love, that it can actually be selfish. Um, So what we read in Luke 9 was an account of three different people coming to Jesus while he's on his way to Jerusalem, and they're asking to follow him. Now, what, may I ask, do you think is on Jesus' mind as he's traveling to Jerusalem? What could be on his mind? Scripture says that Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's like, it's not like, oh, yeah, we'll mosey on over there. It's like, he's looking at you, right? <laughs> he's like, Jerusalem, I'm headed, to you. I'm headed to you. He's on a mission to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because his time has come. It's his time. What time is it for? What, um, his time for what? Jesus came to bring us back to a right relationship with God. From, from day one, that was the mission. He knew that he was going to have to die because love means sacrifice. Okay? Now, Jesus was certainly aware of the sacrifice to come, but I don't even think it was the sacrifice that was on his mind. It's more of like, in order to accomplish this thing, the sacrifice is there. But I don't even think sacrifice was the thing on, on his mind. The motive behind the sacrifice was, was exactly what he was thinking. So in the book of Hebrews, it clarifies that for the joy set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross. So it was the, he endured it, but he did it for the, the joy set before him. Now, um, what's crazy about that, um, what was the joy set before him? <laughs> so like I said before, the motive behind the sacrifice was what he was thinking. Um, do you know what that joy was? It was you. When Jesus was headed to Jerusalem, he was thinking of you. Um, Jesus was heading to Jerusalem because he was motivated by the love he had for you and endured the cross so you could be with him. And that's a big deal. Um, So in Luke 9, what was on Jesus' mind? Going back to the first question. The love for his lost sheep. So I want to take a moment to look at the interactions that happened here with these three people. So the first person says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, how many of you tonight have told Jesus that you'll go wherever he leads you? Amen. I have too. Um, I know I have, but Jesus doesn't, he doesn't necessarily jump with excitement at this. It's not that he downplays it or whatever, but he's going, um, if you think about somebody on mission and then you hear something that... um, He takes it seriously, but he's looking at the heart, and he's like, ah, but there's this thing, right? So he doesn't jump with excitement right away. Instead, he tells this first person that even the animals have a place to live, but um, he has nowhere to rest his head. Jesus has nowhere to rest his head. I believe Jesus is speaking to the security and position this first person is after. So let us remember that Jesus is thinking of his lost sheep that he dearly loves, And as I said before, he takes seriously this request to follow him, but then speaks to the person's heart. So um, Daniel brought um, brought this up last week that we have a friend um, in Chi Alpha that prayed this prayer. Lord, if I never have fun ever again for the rest of my life, I'll follow you. And um, you know what? That was actually a beautiful prayer. (laughs) 
A beautiful prayer that um, shows this underlying idea that following God is boring, and boy, was he wrong. Right? But what Jesus is asking, um, this first person in Luke 9 is, um, you will follow me in glory, but will you follow me when there is nothing? Will you, will, will you follow me to the ends of the earth? Um, and I believe he's asking us that same question tonight. Will you follow me, will you follow Jesus where there is nothing? Or are you just in it for the glory? Cool. Um, and really what it comes down to is, are you after him or after you, are you after the things of him? So the second person is interesting, and here's why. Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't say, I'll follow you. Jesus goes up and he's like, hey, you, come on. And then um, Jesus was the one to approach this man. His response is that he must first bury his father, and then he will follow. Um, then Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, um, I don't know about you. I've run across this scripture several times, and it's um, probably on the top 10 um, most difficult things that Jesus says in scripture, right? It's like, God, just let me go bury my father first. And he's like, no. You know, but um, <laughs> he's like, um, I, don't, I don't actually think that's what's happening. So uh, when Brittany and I were serving in Nepal, this scripture got brought up and it had an interesting take in Nepali context. Um, many people who are even considering following Jesus in Nepal, um, they, they have to uh, abandon their family religion and have to consider what it means with their place in the family and how their parents will take it. It could very well mean that, um, that it will cost, like it, you'll be cast out and it'll cost you your family, which means community. It means inheritance. We're talking money. Um, and even like even family acceptance, everything else. It's, uh, I'm not sure that um, in this case, I'm not sure of that in this, like, in this scripture here, but I don't think Jesus is watching this funeral procession go by and telling this man that like, hey, let everybody else bury your dad and you preach the kingdom. I think, I think his dad was very much alive and well. Um, but he was saying, Lord, let me wait until my father passes and then I'll come serve you. Um, so uh, what we're talking about here, um, sorry, I lost my place. Um, tonight, are you holding on to, to family acceptance higher than Jesus? Right? So, um, is he asking you to lay, lay those desires down so that he can make it better than you ever imagined? Now, to be clear, what Dane did not say is abandon your family. Okay? If, if the Lord speaks that to you, that's between you and him. But um, I'm not saying, I'm not asking you to abandon your family, but to give those desires to the Lord and lay them at his feet. And then watch him redeem it. And we've seen that time and time and time again. There's, there are people in here I could point and I could tell their story. They could tell it better, but I could tell their story because they laid their, they, they laid their ambitions for their family down, um, some, some inheritances, and they said, Lord, it's yours, and it actually ended up being better. Bless you. All right. Now this last person says he will follow Jesus, but he gives a condition. Jesus, I will follow you, but first. Now, it's interesting because um, there, there's this song, um, this worship song that's like, first, I want to seek you. And, um, it, it just keeps telling, talking about like Jesus first. 
hey, can you give me a mic? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, he's, he's singing, um, she's, she's singing the song, and it's always like putting Jesus first. Now, this guy did the exact opposite. But first, let me do this thing, right? He gives a condition. First, let me say goodbye to everyone at my house. Jesus then gives this metaphor of a worker starting his work and then turning around and putting his mind on something else. So I'm not sure specifically what the rebuke is here, but it reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. Who here has heard about um, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah? Now I'm not talking about the green girl from Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, these, uh, these cities were vile, they were wicked, and they were doomed for destruction by God. But Abraham had a nephew whose name was Lot and asked the Lord to save him and his family since they lived in one of those cities. Um, the Lord sends angels to them and gets them out safely before the cities are, uh, are destroyed. But Lot's wife turns around towards the city and immediately turns into a, a pillar of salt, a pile of salt, basically. Now, that's crazy. Did you know that that was in the Bible? Somebody turns into a pile of salt. <laughs> um, <laughs> living that salt life. So... Um, <laughs> In this story uh, with Lot's wife and in the last conversation Jesus has, um, they're looking back at their old life with a longing and a desire for it. They didn't give that thing completely to the Lord, but they held it in their hearts. So um, tonight we are asking the Lord to reveal to us what we are holding on to, um, the things that we consider our rights. Um, before we go, I know what picture just showed up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually have a, I have a funny uh, a picture. I probably, uh, it wouldn't have done that one justice, but it's Daniel giving a best man speech. And our faces, um, because of the direction the best man speech was turning, um, which would have been funny. <laughs> but that one's a lot cuter. And there's baby Dane up there. Um, so the things that we consider our rights. Before we go any further, I'm going to tell you guys a slightly embarrassing story. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So uh, one thing that my wife and I have always said is that getting married really revealed so much to us about how selfish we are. Right? So if, uh, if anyone in here is uh, getting married or in a serious relationship, um, pay attention. <laughs> So, as the story goes, my wife and I had been happily married for a whopping one month. Woo! We were newlyweds, and so um, she got sick. And um, we, the guys, were having resource group that night, um, well, one night while she was sick. And so I traveled to my resource leader's house, um, a little put out at my wife's sickness, um, ashamedly. And it, it showed on my face that I wasn't okay. My resource leader, he asked me what's wrong. And I began to talk about the unfairness of her sickness on my life. And one of my friends who was a groomsman in my wedding, um, just one month earlier, not Daniel, um, started laughing at me. <laughs> and so I turned to him and I'm mad. Um, and he, he, I'm about to say something, and then he says, one month ago, you said in your vows in sickness and in health. <laughs> well, just one month ago, that's what you said. And um, I was speechless because he was absolutely right. Um, I was holding on to a ride I thought I had, forgetting that love means sacrifice. 
Okay. Now, uh, please keep in mind that my wife um, is the easiest sick person to be around. She just wants to sleep and be left alone. She doesn't need things. She doesn't want to be like coddled and taken care of. Um, so it was, uh, it, that, that was all on me. <laughs> um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't even that my life was difficult, but that it was inconvenienced. So, um, my heart, my heart was just like the example of Jesus, um, giving about the worker who's plowing the field. So I was already married, but I looked back to these rights I had that I gladly gave up one month before. And suddenly I was a, a worker that began work but turned around. So that's just one example of an unyielded right. It was the first one that came to my mind. Um, but the question tonight is, what are you still holding on to? So um, this is a really tricky thing, and it demands the Lord's presence in your life to speak to you about it. Um, some of you tonight are sitting in here and haven't yielded your life to Jesus because you feel somewhat like our friend who thought following Jesus means you can't have any more fun. So remember this, in verse 56, Jesus reminds us that he didn't come to destroy lives, but to save them. So he doesn't want to destroy your life and ruin your fun or your plans. He wants to save you from yourself and then redeem you and your fun and your plans. And that's pretty cool. He wants to redeem it all. Um, and we, we often say in Chi Alpha that we have more fun on accident than most people do on purpose. And it is a true statement. You guys are living proof of that. Faux <laughs> show. All right. Um, remember the example of the bitter college student that has to sacrifice so much just to make it? Um, some sacrifice isn't motivated by love. I'm thinking of a deadbeat churchgoer who is asked about their testimony. And it goes something like this. Oh, uh, my testimony, he says. Yes, I used to be a party animal um, as a thrill enters his eyes. My friends and I would get into all sorts of trouble. Then he begins to share a 20-minute story about the night he spent in jail because of an inebriated decision, right, for 20 minutes. And then, at the end of it, but then I got wise and brought Jesus into my life and now I sit back here every Sunday, right? That is not a conversion, it is, um, and it definitely isn't a life yielded to the Lord. Um, one problem we run into in this idea that the Lord wants all of, uh, is the idea that the Lord wants all of our bad things, okay? So he does want those things. He wants our depression. He wants our lust. He wants our problems with alcohol and drug addiction. He wants those things. Um, but he also wants our affections and our good things. And that's important too. Some of you are in here tonight and you're very willing to let, uh, let him have all those bad things. Um, but you're holding tight um, to that good thing. And you might not even know you're doing it. So um, I'm thinking examples of uh, he, he wants, uh, yeah, I'm getting there. Um, but he also wants our affections and our good things. The deadbeat churchgoer says, Lord, take my alcohol, but don't take my ambition. Those are mine. Okay? And he spends the rest of his days sad that he ever gave even his alcohol to Jesus. Um, but what are some good things that Jesus would want? What are some good things? I'm going to list some. Yeah, we're talking ambitions. Um, what about your college degree? 
So when is the last time you've asked the Lord what he wants out of your college degree? The Lord wants your career path. He wants your family relationships. He wants your romantic relationships. Those are good things. They're all good things, but if you aren't sacrificed, uh, if they aren't sacrificed to the Lord, if they aren't yielded to him, then they can suffocate you and your relationship with God. So these examples in Scripture, they're, um, they're examples of the Lord speaking um, to these things in these three people's lives that they need, needed to yield to him. They aren't magical three things that you lay before Jesus to follow him. You get me? It's not like a three-step track. Oh, if I give him my family, if I give him this stuff. He's talking specifically to the heart of that person. Um, they're just what he was asking those people to yield in their own lives. So in a, in a few moments, um, we're going to do just that. We're going to ask Jesus to reveal to us what we need to give him tonight. Um, but before we do that, uh, I'm going to give a little instruction. So Daniel mentioned last week, and we've been talking about it, that we're going to have a burn party. And that's exactly what we are going to do. We're going to burn some stuff. So some of you have already been seeking the Lord and even brought, uh, brought with you things that you're going to give to him tonight by casting them into a fire and being set free from it. That's awesome. Um, the burning is just symbolic of the choice to give it to Jesus, and not all things can be burned in a trash can. Your ambitions cannot necessarily be thrown into a trash can. Um, we wouldn't know how to ask you to burn your college degree, nor we do, do we think you should try it. Um, for that reason, we will also have index cards or some type of paper that you can write a thing out and cast it in the fire. Um, because again, it's symbolic and a pact between you and the Lord. Yeah. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. And we're going to use our imaginations a bit. So we know that Jesus is alive. We know that he speaks to us. And that's exactly what we're doing when I say imagination. Um, what I'm not saying is that we're going to make believe this thing, um, but I think with the help of the Holy Spirit, he could speak to us. So here's what I'm going to ask everybody to do. I want everyone um, to close your eyes, and I want you to um, ask the Lord to be present in this place, okay? Um, now, I, what I want you to do is think of an everyday place. It might be university. It might be a coffee shop, maybe your house, um, somewhere that you go every day. And in that place, I want you to imagine Jesus comes in. Um, with excitement, you come to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Now with tenderness and compassion that only Jesus has, he's going to reveal to you that thing in your life that must go. That right that you've been holding on to and haven't given fully to him. With your eyes still closed and your thoughts still set on what Jesus is speaking, um, I'm going to take time. I'm just going to pray for us and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, okay? Uh, Lord, we're, we're so grateful for you. Uh, thank you, Lord, for, uh, for already moving tonight, for already moving in our lives.